0: Can you believe it? We just got married. Oh? Is that what we just did? Stop it.
1: I thought your mother was never going to stop crying.
0: I know, right? I knew she never liked you. But I didn't think she'd take it this hard. I'm kidding. It's my dad that hates you. And you'll really believe anything I tell you.
1: I do. That's kind of why I said I do to you.
0: You're so sweet. And you're all mine. We're married. Can you believe it?
1: I know. Now we never have to say goodbye to each other at the end of the night.
0: Or have to call you early in the morning to come pick me up.
1: Let the honeymoon begin. Oh, I made this for our road trip.
2: Welcome, everybody here in the room, and also those watching us online and on TV. We're glad you're a part of the Sagebrush family. Let's get right into it today. There was a middle-aged man. He went and bought himself a brand-new convertible Mercedes. Honey, hush. It was a good time. He was driving down the highway going 80, 85, 90 mile an hour, had the convertible top down, feeling what was left of his hair blowing in the breeze. It was wonderful. All of a sudden, his his rearview mirror, he saw a highway patrolman pull up behind him with his lights just to go and tell him to get over to the side of the road. Well, the middle-aged guy thought, you know what, I can outrun this cop. So he put the pedal to the metal. Wasn't too long. He's going 110, 115, 120 mile an hour. He thought to himself, what in the world am I doing? I am too old for this kind of thing. So he pulled over, waited for the highway patrolman to catch up. Finally, the home highway patrolman pulled up behind him, asked for his driver's license, his registration. Officer said, you know, I've got 30 minutes till my shift is over. Today is Friday the 13th. If you can give me a reason for as to why I I shouldn't give you a ticket, a reason I've never heard before as to why you were speeding, I'll let you off the hook. Without missing a beat, the guy said, last week my wife ran off with a highway patrolman. I thought you were bringing her back. (laughs) He said, have a nice day. I got one more. There was a a woman, she was walking along the shore of a beach, and something came up on the the waves, and it looked like an Aladdin's lamp, so she walked over there, and she grabbed the lamp, and she she, she rubbed the lamp to see what might happen. Sure enough, a genie popped out. She was absolutely blown away. A conversation ensued. She said to the genie, she said, is this this kind of lamp where I get three wishes? Genie said, no, I wish that was the case, but due to downsizing and inflation, you only get one wish, so make it a good one. Well, immediately she whipped out a map. She said, you see these countries right here on this map? I want them to stop fighting. She was pointing to the Middle East. Jeannie looked at the map and he said, ma'am, do you realize that those countries have been fighting for thousands and thousands and thousands of years? I'm good, but I'm not that good. Make another wish. So she thought about it for a second. She said, you know, I'm a single woman, and, and I'd like to meet a guy who would be perfect for me. I want you to bring me a man who loves Jesus with all his heart and soul and mind and strength, someone who's patient, someone who's kind, someone who doesn't mind doing household chores and household things, someone who put my needs ahead of me, and and then someone I can do the same for them as well. I don't want to marry somebody who just sits on the couch and passes gas, you know, doesn't pay any attention, to me. cares more about what's on the TV or their phone than, you know, have an intimate conversation with me. I want someone who wants intimacy with me. Not just physically, but emotionally, mentally, spiritually. She said, what I'm really looking for is the perfect guy. Jeannie said, let me look at that map one more time, see what's going on. <laughs> we're continuing our series today called Mixtape. And we're talking about conflict today in our married relationship. Whether you're dating, whether you're married, you're going to have conflict in your relationship. You're not always going to see eye to eye. So we're going to start our time together talking about the ways in which we accelerate conflict. You know, you can put accelerant on a fire, can't you? You can throw kerosene on a fire, and all of a sudden the fire gets greater. It's the same way with conflict. There are certain things that we do to each other, certain ways we relate to each other. When, the, when we start getting mad at the other person, where it doesn't calm things down, it actually makes things worse. See, see if you can relate to any of these. You can even, you know, kind of do a little tally as I go through each one, see if you've ever done any of these before. The first thing that we do to destroy our marriage is we can withdraw from each other and play the silent treatment game. Give yourself a little mark if you've ever done that one before, or if you're married to someone who's ever done that before, you can give them a mark since they won't give themselves one, okay? The silent treatment game. Someone said something, someone did something to you to hurt you, it offended you, and so you say, you know what, I'm just going to distance myself emotionally from them right now. I'm just going to be really quiet right now. Rather than sitting down and having a mature conversation, attacking the problem rather than the person, sitting down and saying, this is what I feel, this is what I'm going through. No, we'll just keep that all locked up inside. People who play the silent treatment, they ignore the person they're angry with, and they pay extra special attention to other people in the room. You ever see this? They pay more attention to the kids than they they do to their spouse. They want the spouse to kind of catch on that they're not too happy with them right now. Or they go off and they do something else in the house, right? They go and they work in the garage for hours at a time, tinkering around with their car. And the wife comes out and she says, is anything wrong? He says, no, nothing wrong, nothing wrong at all. Should there be something wrong? Is there a reason you're asking me why something's wrong? Kind of fishing, you know, for an an explanation so maybe they can figure out why you're so wounded, why you're so hurt. People who play the silent treatment game are very immature people because they don't have the ability to sit down with maturity and say, this is how I felt, this is what I'm going through. It's a great way to kill your married relationship. Let me give you another one that we do from time to time that causes conflict. That's not speaking our unspoken expectations. It's when we have unspoken expectations that the other person isn't aware of rather than just coming out and saying, this is what I like, this is what I'd like you to do, this is what I think you should do, and having a conversation about them. No, we kind of test the other person to see if they can kind of catch on to what the vibe is of what we're trying to say. Let me illustrate it this way. There was a couple... They were driving cross country, and they'd been on the road for several hours on this particular day. They came upon an exit sign that said, next exit, Dairy Queen. The wife turned to the husband and asked, would you like to get some ice cream? Would you like some ice cream? And he thought about it for a second. He said, no, I don't want any ice cream. So he kept driving past the exit. Well, they go about 20 more miles down the road. And the wife hadn't said anything for the past 20 miles. She's just given the silent treatment right there and there. And the husband's like, I know I must have done something wrong. So he, he turns to her and he says, Hey, I, I, you haven't talked to me in 20 miles. Did I say something? Did I do something? Because I can't figure out for the life of me what I said or what I did. Because all I've been doing is sitting here driving this vehicle. She said, You know. He said, I know what? I don't know anything. You're giving me way too much credit. I'm really dumber than you think. Well, I don't know anything. What do you mean? She said, you know. He said, I don't know. She said, 20 miles back, I asked that you'd stop and get me some ice cream. (laughs) He said, no, I didn't. That's not what you asked me. You asked me if I wanted some ice cream. I didn't want any ice cream, so I kept driving. She said, you knew what I meant. (laughs) Can I clear up the confusion? Can I talk to all the ladies just for a second? He didn't have a clue. He didn't have a clue. Let me let you know a little secret. He's never gonna have a clue. Do you understand that? When you do these subtleties, when you play these little games with him, when you throw out the little tests to see if you're really connecting with each other on an emotional, mental level, he's gonna fail every single time. He's just not that smart. He's just not that smart. So here's what I want you to do, ladies. If you would do this one thing, it would make us all so very, very happy. Say what you mean and mean what you say. That's it. That's it. We'll have marital bliss for all that is right in this world. For the love of God, just say what you mean and mean what you say, right, men? Yeah, Twenty-seven brave guys, right there. I tell you, what, other guys are like, I'm not clapping, honey. I'm not clapping at all. Those other guys are crazy. They're sleeping on the couch tonight, but. <laughs> He's right, though, I'll tell you that right now. This is what happens. We play these little games. We have these unspoken expectations. And when the other person doesn't reach that expectation that's not spoken, World War III breaks out. Let me give you another one. We threaten the other person. I've seen lots of couples do that. Now, they don't threaten physical violence. If you're in a situation where that's happening, you need to get to a place of safety. No, we verbally threaten the other person. We threaten to walk out. We say, if you do that again, you see what's going to happen. We, we threaten, right? We even threaten divorce. That's, that's a good way to kill your marriage. Let me, let, me, let me give you one more. I've seen couples that just throw in the towel. Now, I'm not talking about divorce. It's the attitude of I don't care anymore. When you get to this point in your married relationship where the other person says, I don't care, you're going to do what you want to do anyway. Why are you even asking me? I don't care. You do what you, you do you, and I'll do me. You're you're on the brink of being done. Because what this says is, is I don't care about our relationship anymore. I don't care about your heart. I don't care about your feelings. I don't even want to reconcile. I don't even want to compromise with you. You go do you, I'll do me. And you end up in that situation with a couple of roommates. Just a couple of people paying bills, but they both live their lives separately, and there's no closeness. There's no oneness. There's no intimacy in that situation. Friends, if you've done any of these things, you got to stop it, because you're destroying your marriage, probably one bad, terrible, unfair fight after another. And not only are you messing with your marriage, but you're messing up your kids, too. Your kids are growing up, and, and you claim to be a Christian, and yet you're treating each other and saying things to each other that are so bad and so wrong. And your kids are growing up with this anxiety and this insecurity because mom and dad are constantly yelling at each other, constantly playing the silent treatment, constantly on, the, on a different page. You're being a poor example of what a Christian marriage is supposed to be about. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about fighting fair. Let's talk about attacking the problem rather than attacking the person. Today we're going to look at a passage of scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 6. This is between David and his wife, and it's a fight that they have, and they do everything wrong. If you do the direct opposite of what David and his wife do in this situation, you will have a much better marriage than they ended up having. They did everything wrong. Now let me set this passage of scripture up to you. David's wife is a girl by the name of Michael. That's her legitimate name in Scripture. She's not a guy. She's a girl. Her name is Michael. She is King Saul's daughter. I guess Saul wanted a son, said, I'm going to name him Michael anyway. And so this girl is carrying the name of Michael, okay? So they they get married, and and they're together. And and this is going to be a wonderful thing, right? This is going to be great. Well, David has now become the king of Israel. And one of his first kingly acts is he wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. Now, the Ark of the Covenant represented the very presence of God, represented the very throne of God. It had been years since the Ark of the Covenant had been back to Jerusalem, and David was ecstatic. He was so excited to bring the Ark of the Covenant back. So here they are, they're marching in, the priests are marching in with the Ark of the Covenant. There's a makeshift parade that takes place, people are lining the streets, and David is, is one of these worshipers that worships with everything that he's got. He's very expressive in his worship. So he's dancing around in front of the Ark of the Covenant, he's throwing off his clothes, he's caught up in the moment. He gets all the way down to where he has nothing on except an ephod. Now do you know what an ephod is? An ephod is a, a, a modern day kilt, that's what he's got on. Or bicycle shorts or underwear. That's all that David's got. So he's out there on the streets dancing around before the Lord in his underwear. And the Bible says that Michael is watching from the window and sees what is going on. And she despised David for the way that he was acting. Now David comes in a few hours later. And he thinks, wow, you know, Michael's going to be so impressed. She's going to tell me, way to go. You brought the Ark of the Covenant back. She's going to be as excited about this as David is excited about this. He's expecting a hero's welcome when he walks through the door. But That's not what he gets. Let's look at it. Michael greets him at the door and says, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of slave girls, of his servants, as any Vulgar fellow would. David said, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. First thing they do wrong is they're unkind to each other. David walks in, thinks he's going to get a hero's welcome. Michael's waiting for him, and she lets it rip. She blasts him with everything she's got. Oh, how you've dignified yourself today. King of Israel, dancing around like that in front of all those slave girls. What a disgrace. Let me ask you a question. When you're fighting with your spouse, when you feel like you've been attacked by your spouse, what's your natural inclination? For some of us, it's to shut down. But for most of us, it's to attack back. It's to give it to them just as hard as we just received it. And that's what we see here with David, right? He says, hey, wait a second. Hey, wait a second. I'm the king of Israel. Do you know why I'm the king of Israel? Because God rejected your dad. That's why. I'm the king. And I'll become even more undignified than this. And it's none of your stinking business. David's mad. Michael's mad. A lot of ladies here are thinking, well, Michael's got a reason. I mean, that's ridiculous. And I agree. She does have a reason to be angry with him, doesn't she? I mean, if your husband runs outside, is run up down the street in his underwear, that's a problem right there, ain't not you say? I mean, you might want to point him back in and say, hey, honey, I don't know if that's a good idea, right? I, don't that, I, I, don't, I was dancing before the Lord. Well, that's good, but that, you know, no one can see that. You know, the Lord's out there, but I'm, I'm sure no one knew that. How could Michael have approached this in a different manner? She could have said, "I'm so excited about the Ark of the Covenant. This is such a great day for Israel. Way, wait, to go! I'm so, I'm so proud of you." And then a little later, she could have said, "Have we thought about what we did though? You know, you're, you're, you're down in your underoos basically, and I don't, I don't know if that's what you want to do in that situation. You know, I'm for you. I just want you to look at a different perspective. It, it could have calmed things down, but oh no, she was." She put it right on him and when he got attacked he put it right back on her as well. See how fast it can just happen? Cuz your emotions can get the best of you and then you launch onto somebody else and then they launch back to you and before you know it you feel the blood pumping in the veins in your head and you're just going at it with each other. We've been following that cute little couple, you know, for all the way from when the little boy made a mixtape for the girl and then they got engaged and then today they got married. The Joe Bob was just married. They're on their honeymoon now. It looks so wonderful, doesn't it? I wonder how they're doing right now. Well, let's take a look.
0: Hey, babe. Do you think you can try to put the toothpaste cap back on after you're done using it?
1: Sure, I mean, I don't see what the big deal is. Gonna open it again tomorrow anyway.
0: Just do it, please.
1: Fine, it's not like I nag you for all the little things you do, like not replacing the toilet paper correctly.
0: There is no wrong way to replace toilet paper.
1: Uh, Yes, there is. If you put the toilet paper face in the wall and you reach to get more and you've already wiped, then you just wouldn't understand the science of it all.
0: Oh, so you think I'm stupid? That's
1: not what I'm saying. Is my
0: brain not capable of handling your mind blowing butt wiping ways?
1: Here we go. You know,
0: at least I'm smart enough to put the toilet seat down after I'm done using it, even though you think I wipe like an ape.
1: Well, at least me leaving the toilet seat up never hurt anybody like when you leave your hair dryer out.
0: My hair has never hurt anyone.
1: So me tripping on the hairdryer cord and bumping my head on this counter was all a part of my imagination?
0: Well, it couldn't have been as bad as the time I tripped on the towels that you left on the floor. My face hit the wall, Colin!
1: Yeah, you really need to clean that one up.
0: It was your towel, you should clean it up.
1: Uh no, I already clean up enough of the messes you leave. Oh,
0: like what?
1: Like the hairballs I pull out of the drain all the time.
2: Oh.
1: Oh. Uh. The smell still keeps me awake at night.
0: Oh, so you think my hair smells?
1: That's not what I'm saying.
0: You know what? I can't even with you right now.
1: Nice. Just walk away. Stupid towels.
2: Hold you! So let me help you out a little bit because there might have been some confusion when you watched that video, but the toilet paper goes over the top. Over the top. Am I right? I'm right. I just spared you another fight. Over the top, people. Over the top. What's rule number one when dealing with conflict between you and your spouse? Rule number one is this. Be nice. Now, we smile at that. We laugh at that a little bit. Like be nice. but Stop being sarcastic and cynical. Stop being rude. Stop saying things that are hurtful. Stop using profanity. Say words that build the other person up. Bring words that bring life, not words that bring death. If I came to your house and I talked to your spouse the way you talked to them, would you let me get away with it? If I came in your house and I blasted them like you blast them, and I used the same verbiage that you use, and I used the same intimidation techniques that you use, and you were staying there and you were watching me blast your wife the way you blast her, would you allow me to get away with that? you probably say, well, no, 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 you, 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 no one speaks to my wife that way. you kick me out of the house, you'd punch me in the face, and I would deserve it. I don't have the right to speak to your wife in that manner. What gives you the right? Do you forget who you're married to? Your husband, your wife is a child of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They are royalty. And you're not supposed to let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful to build the other person up that may benefit them and benefit their needs, right? That's why we pray all the time, set set a guard over my mouth that I'm not sin against you, Lord, that I'm not sin against somebody else. Oh, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Oh, my Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. Well, what do we do? We, we, we blast the other person. The person that we say we love more than anybody else on the face of the, this earth, we talk to them in manners that we wouldn't allow anybody else to talk to them. And we, and we wonder why our marriages are falling apart. We're, we're killing our marriages one mean, unkind, profane word after the other. There, there's a man who was celebrating his 50th wedding anniversary with his wife. A bunch of friends and family had gathered together. They were there at the reception. A, a, a younger man was there. He had been married four or five years, and he was going through a rough patch with his bride. And so he pulled the man who had been married for 50 years aside, and he said, Listen, I'm going through a rough patch right now, and you've been married 50 years. Can you give me a word of wisdom on how to do this? Because I I really need something to hold on to. I need some handles here. So the 50-year-old man said, Well, the first thing is, is we had Jesus as the centerpiece of our marriage. It wasn't something that we said. It was something we actually had. We prayed together. We read the word of God together. We went to church together. We studied scriptures together. We talked about spiritual things. We leaned on Jesus. It's true when the preacher says that he is the tie that binds two people together. He said, we had that going for us. He said, not only that, but I fell in love with my wife when we were in high school. Sarah was just so pretty, and she was such a neat girl inside and out. And I knew she was the girl for me, and I, and I asked her to marry me. Looking back, Jesus was the centerpiece. And he's been that way for the last 50 years. But there's been one other thing that's helped me an awful lot. I got a gift from Sarah's dad the day of our wedding. I was getting ready, and he came in. He had a box that was wrapped up, and I was very nervous and excited. And I opened that box up, and inside there was a watch. He said, I've worn that watch for 50 years. He said, that watch was another secret for me having a successful marriage to Sarah young man looked at him and said, watch? How could a watch make a significant difference in your relationship? The old man showed him the watch. And on the face of the watch, Sarah's dad had engraved, say something nice to Sarah. He said, every time I've looked at that watch, every time I've looked to see what time it is, it's a reminder to me to say something nice to her. And if she's with me, I always do. I always say something nice to her. So I read that story, and it just kind of convicted me. And I thought, what if we set up some reminders in our life to be nice to our husband, to be nice to our wives? And I thought, where, where could we put a reminder that we'd see it over and over and over again through the course of the day? And the only thought I had was on your phone. You picked that phone up probably a 1,000 times a day. What if every time you picked it up on the screensaver, you had say something nice to... And then you did it. Every time you saw it, you did it. It would revolutionize everything because now all of a sudden we've got two people constantly encouraging each other, constantly building each other up, constantly saying nice words to the other person. No more condensation, no, no more meanness, no more sarcasm, no more ridicule. We really do care with our words, and our words have the ability to make our marriages stronger or to rip our marriages absolutely apart. So the first step, if you want to have a great relationship and and conflict comes, is be nice in the midst of the conflict. Let me give you rule number two. See, David and Michael, they weren't kind to each other. Look at rule number two. If nice isn't on your mind, then put God on your mind. You say, what, what are you talking about? Well, you, the blood's flowing, okay? And you're mad and you're frustrated. They've said something. You've done something. And it's not going well. And you're beginning to do the old things that you used to do, which is blast each other, be mean to each other, pull away from each other. Whatever you do messes up your married relationship, right? So that's what you're going after. What if you just called a timeout in the middle of that? What if you says, listen, you're upset. I'm upset. I'm mad. You're mad. We're going to say some things that we're going to later regret. And I'm going to wound you, and I don't want to wound you. And you don't want to wound me. I believe with all my heart that you love me, and you don't want to wound me. What if we just took a five-minute break? And for the next five minutes, you go find a place in the house, I'll go find a place in the house, and we'll just pray. We'll just get along with God, and we'll seek him. And we'll say, God, I need some help. I need some perspective. I need you to calm me down. What if you took a timeout and said, for five minutes, let's just pull ourselves aside? What if you invoke Jesus in the middle of it? You see, as a Christian couple, you have this thing called the Holy Spirit of God that lives within you, and he will lead you, and he will guide you, and he will help you through the messiness, the tough stuff of marriage, but only if you ask him, only if you'll seek him, only if you'll lean upon him. You know what always shocks me is that people, and I talked about this last week, but people come to church or they tune in on TV, and, and they call themselves a Christian relationship, But what they consider a Christian relationship is that they have a set of beliefs about Jesus, but they don't practice it in their married relationship. They come to church. You ready for this? The average person right now is coming to church once every six weeks. And the average person at home is watching the show uh, at home, the worship service at home, once every six weeks. They don't talk about spiritual things. They don't read the Bible together. They don't pray together. I gave you the big assignment last week. Hey, before you go to bed, pray. Did you do it? Because some of you did and some of you didn't. Some of you are going to fall off next week. Because the spiritual aspect of intimacy, it just isn't there. And that's why you're lacking. That's why you're struggling so much. What what, what if instead you leaned upon the Lord? What if you sought his face first? What what if you talked to him before you said some mean-spirited thing to your spouse? It could change everything, doesn't it? Now, now, here's what's interesting. This passage of Scripture never mentions one time where David says to Michael, hey, let's just take a time out. You go, and, and I'll go, and then we'll come back together. In fact, do you know how many times is mentioned in Scripture where David asks his bride to get away with the Lord or to spend time together with the Lord? Do you know how many times there says that there's a passage of Scripture where it says David sought the Lord together with his wife? You ready for this? It's Zero. Here's David, who was called a man after God's own heart. But he never brought God into the married relationship. They never leaned upon God. They never sought God. And so when they got into a fight, guess what they did? They hurt each other. They wounded each other. They ended up hating each other as a result. So... Rule number two, if nice isn't on your mind, you better get God on your mind before you do irreparable harm. Rule number three, let go of all stubbornness, pride, and be selfless. Let me say that again. Let go of all stubbornness and pride and be selfless. This was another problem for David and his wife. They wanted to be right. They wanted to throw it in the other person's face, right? Remember I told you last week, if you go into an argument trying to win, you're going to lose? Because if you end up winning and they lose, the two become one. If your spouse lost and you won, you lost two because you're fighting against yourself. You're fighting against your own flesh and blood. The person that you say is the most important person on the face of this earth next to Jesus. So, okay, well, you're going to have fights. You're going to have conflict. How are we going to do it differently? Because the way that most of us have been doing it, if we're honest, there's got to be a better way. I mean, your kids are kind of hoping that you'll come up with a better way, right? So this is a system that I use in premarital counseling. And I teach every one of the couples that I do the wedding for, I teach them this system. Hopefully it's in your Sagebrush app under the message notes. If not, just take pictures as I go through this. All right, the, the, the fight's beginning. The blood is boiling. You're not seeing eye to eye. You're getting ready to say some things that you shouldn't say. Take a time out and say, hey, you know what, tonight let's set up a time. Let's, let's, let's fight tonight at 6 o'clock. You can get ready, I can get ready, 6 o'clock, we'll pray before there, we'll calm our emotions down, and then we'll pull out a sheet of paper and we'll go through this system. You ready? This is the mature way to deal with the fight. First thing is this, define the problem or the issue of disagreement. What's going on? What's wrong? And be specific. We talk way too much in generalities. Be as specific as possible. Now, by writing this one thing down, let me tell you what couples do in conflict. One begins to lose, quote-unquote. And so because they're losing on this front, they bring up something else over here. So that happens a lot, right, where we get rear-ended by somebody, like, hey, we're talking about this, but all of a sudden they bring up a different issue. Here's what you say. We'll put that on another sheet. But right now, we're just trying to fix this specific issue right here. We might be here all night with all these sheets, but right now we're addressing this one issue so no one gets a surprise attack. Okay? Second thing is this. You talk about all the ways how both of you have contributed the problem in the past. What does this do? It it lowers the defense mechanisms. Husband says, listen, I'll be honest. I've messed this up by doing this. And the wife says, well, I've messed this up by doing this. What are we doing? We're owning our stuff. So there's no defensiveness anymore. There's no justification for any ways that we behave. We just own it. We say, you know what? I said some things I shouldn't have said. I did some things I shouldn't have done. I didn't communicate well in this situation. We had a misunderstanding that caused this. I own my stuff. How many times is somebody 100% wrong and the other person's 100% right? It rarely happens. Most of the time it's 80-20, 70-30, 50-50, right? So own your part of it. Even if you don't think your part is as great as the other person's part, own your stuff. It will calm everything down. Next thing is this. You, you look at uh, past attempts that have been made that didn't solve the problem. How many, how many times you fought over the same thing or the same kinds of things again and again and again and again and again? So here's what you do. The, the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again expecting a new result. So don't do the things that, you, that didn't work. Let me tell you what doesn't work. You ready for this? When you get to the point where you reconcile, when you say, okay, we're going to do it by fix it by doing this, don't say things like, I'll try harder, when you don't have a clue how to try harder. Don't, don't, don't say things like, you know, next time I'll, I'll, I'll just do better. I'll do better next time, when you don't have a clue how to do better next time. That's talking in generalities. You want to get to specifics. So we're going to list all past attempts that, haven't, that have been made to solve the problem that simply didn't work. Then we're going to pick one trial solution. We're going to pick one thing, one thing. uh, We're going to brainstorm some ideas, and then we're going to pick one trial solution that we're going to try. And then what you're going to do is you're going to say, okay, this is what I'm going to do, and this is what I'm going to do to see that solution become a reality. And you get specific. You get specific about what you're going to try to do next time so this fight doesn't happen again. And then that's your assignment. And you wait for one week, and you set up an appointment in one week's time and see how well you did. See, that's called holding each other accountable. Did you do the things that you said you were going to do? And if you do, yeah. Like you say, you get in a fight on a Saturday. You say, okay, next Saturday at noon, we're going to sit down and see if we did it. And if you did it, then you should celebrate the fact that you took your relationship seriously and you changed your behavior and you won, right? You won together as a couple. So now you get to celebrate. You go out to eat together. You can have a little boom chakalaka. You can do whatever you want, right? But you can celebrate at that point in time. You don't use sarcasm. You don't threaten the other person. You don't say things like, well, you do that again, you'll see what happens to you, do you remember when you were a kid and your dad said, uh, Don't you dare make another peep? Remember that? And didn't everything inside you want to go peep? Didn't you want to do that? <laughs> peep. And I wanted to do that really bad, but my dad was, <clears throat> I don't, I don't, I don't, that wasn't a good idea. Why do we hate that so much? Because it's degrading. Well, don't do that to your spouse. Don't 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 treat them that way. How should you treat them? Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 31, do to others as you would have them do to you. You you treat your spouse with the same dignity and respect that you hope that they would treat you with. And whether they're giving you that or not, you still do it. Because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. So you do what you need to do. You treat them with dignity and respect. And the last thing is this: rule number four of conflict, you forgive quickly. Marriage is hard to do, right? I mean, it's difficult. Sometimes we'll hurt each other intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. You're going to be wounded. You're going to get hurt. You better learn to forgive. Stop holding it over each other's head. Look at Colossians 3.13. Be gentle and ready to forgive. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. You can spend all your time berating your spouse if you want to, and becoming bitter towards them, resenting them, despising them. A lot of couples do that. You can carry that burden. You'll have a cruddy marriage. Or you can forgive. By the grace of God, there goes me. God's forgiven me for this huge amount of sin. How can I not forgive my spouse for these offenses that they've done to me? And how has God forgiven us? Well, God's forgiveness is selfless, isn't it? Make no mistake about it, God was offended by our sin, wasn't he? But Jesus gave the ultimate selfless act. He died on a cross so that we could be reconciled. He put the needs of us ahead of himself. He was selfless. Forgiveness is selfless. It's a gift that you give to others and a gift that you give to yourself. God's forgiveness is also unlimited. There's no amount of sin that God says, okay, wait a second, you've hit your limit. We're done. I'm I'm not forgiving you anymore. That doesn't happen, does it? No, and God forgives everything. God forgave Moses for his murder, Noah for his drunkenness. He forgave David for his adultery. He forgave Peter for denying him not once, not twice, but three times. And that brings me to my next point. God's forgiveness is repeated. He doesn't just forgive once and that's it. It's like a one and done kind of deal. He forgives again and again and again. Remember when Peter came to Jesus and he said, how many times should we forgive our brother? Up to seven times? Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. Some of you are doing the math right now. 490, that's the spot right there. We cut that off. Jesus is saying, you don't count. You don't keep score. You just keep on forgiving because that's how God has treated you. And his forgiveness is unfair, isn't it? Nothing fair about the cross. Nothing fair about the cross at all. The the guilty goes free and the innocent is punished. That's the way forgiveness works. But that's what you got to do. The guilty gets to go free. You forgive them and you move forward. Look at what the Bible says here in Luke. It says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. You forgive in the same way that you've been forgiven. Stop holding a grudge. Don't let bitterness and anger and resentment get the best of you in your married relationship. Forgive in the same way you've been forgiven. Guess what? David and Michael never did it. They hated each other. They despised each other. You know, a few months later, David finds himself on a balcony, overlooking a city, and he sees a woman up on a rooftop bathing. He calls for her and he sleeps with her. Her name's Bathsheba. His marriage was dead. And so he put the final nail in the coffin, didn't he? I don't want that to happen to you. The home should be a place where there's love and grace and forgiveness. The home should be a place where there's second chances, where people care about each other and put the needs of the other person ahead of themselves. should be a place where we're nice to each other. should be a place where Jesus is truly the centerpiece of the relationship. We're reading the Bible together. We're praying together. We're talking about spiritual things together. We're letting go of stubbornness and arrogance and pride and trying to be right and trying to win. Because we've understood. We've matured enough to realize that when we win, our spouse loses. That means we lose too. And we forgive. We forgive fast. We throw that sin like God throws our sin as far as the east is from the west. Though our sins are as red as scarlet, may he wash them as white as snow. You have the choice, friends. You're going to fight. Will you fight fair? Will your fights actually bring the two of you together because you attack the problem rather than the person? Or will your fights do more harm and do more damage to a relationship that's in desperate need of help and healing? Every day you get to choose how you're going to respond to each other. I hope that you'll respond the way that we've talked about today. I hope that I respond the next time we get into a fight, which will probably be in about 30 minutes. I hope that I respond in the right way too. Let's pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, please help us. We're so tired of fighting and being mean and hurtful with our words we've got to learn to forgive we got to forgive quick fast we got to let it go we got to trust you lord we don't want to walk around with anger and bitterness and hatred despising the other person getting to the point where we don't even care what they do or say so god please with the grace that you've shown us may we extend that on to our family members to our spouses, to our friends. When conflict rises up and the blood rushes to our faces and we want to say mean things, may we be kind. May we be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. God, we lay our relationships down before you. God, please help us to treat others the way you've treated us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.